Hi, welcome to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast with your host, Trent M. Clark, three-time World Series coach, CEO of Leadershipity, serial entrepreneur, having started 12 companies, coach to the 1%, and an international speaker. This show is going to be your go-to podcast for facing adversity, being inspired, and overcoming obstacles, all from the best in the world, business, sports, and leadership. Rebellious Infusions are organic flavored water enhancers. Rebellious provides clean, focused energy in liquid packets. Just tear the corner of the packet and pour 16 ounces of water. Rebellious Infusions have no sugar, no calories, and up to 300 milligrams of antioxidants and loads of L-thionine for brain health. Rethink your drink at drinkrebellious.com. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. So it's really quite crazy. I met Cliven Bundy in prison. I'm very candid about that. The whole book kind of sets the scene about meeting Cliven there. Now to, to understand, Cliven Bundy had been in prison. He'd actually been in what they call pre-detention He'd been in pre-detention by the time I met him for well over a year, maybe a year and a half, okay? And so at, at the end of my sentence, I'm over in California doing my time and whatnot. The very end of my sentence, they send me to the halfway house in Las Vegas, Nevada, because I'm from Nevada. Now, your listeners, your viewers may not understand, but in the federal system, at least where I was at, everyone who gets out has to go to the halfway house. So even though I don't need a halfway house, I have resources and family and a place to live and all that. I'm sent to a halfway house. I don't have a drug addiction. I'm sent to a halfway house. That's how they do it. And so I get sent to the halfway house. I'm given a furlough to go from California to Las Vegas. My wife comes and picks me up. My late wife comes and picks me up and then drives me the four hours over to Las Vegas or five hours, whatever it was. And I check in there and they say to me, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I've, I've been sent here from prison to check in. Like, oh, yeah, we don't have any record of you. So a few hours go by and they finally decide, okay, well, they're going to give me a bed, right? So they give me a bed. And then the next day I happen to see the, the program manager and I asked him, you know, what's going on? This has got me concerned that nobody was planning on me being here. And he goes, oh, don't worry about it. It was just a computer mistake. It's no big deal. You're going to be here. You're from Nevada. You're going to be here. Check in for an orientation on Monday. I, I believe at that point it was either a Thursday or a Friday. So I wait till Monday. I don't leave the facility. I only thing I did was go to the gym upstairs, and I didn't even go out to the outside. There's a, a place out there you can smoke. I don't smoke, so I didn't even go out there. And the next morning I go, I go down to the office to ask him what time is the orientation, and the manager's standing there, and he says, "Oh, Stickler, I, I come here. I want to talk to you." And I walk around the corner and there's two U.S. Marshals standing there with leg chains and handcuffs. And I'm like, what's going on? They go, yeah, we have a warrant for your arrest for escape. They had in their computer, I was supposed to go to San Francisco. I had travel orders to go to Las Vegas. That was always the plan. The manager said to the marshals, this is wrong. This guy didn't do anything wrong. And they're like, I, maybe not, but we have orders. We have to take this guy back. So they put me in leg irons and put me in a van and they take me up to a place called Pahrump, Nevada. It's a private contracted prison for the marshal service. People that go to that prison are typically people that are typically waiting for their court appearances or they're being transferred from one prison to the other because they're in the care of the marshals or they're under an INS hold. So they're being shipped back across the border. So I get thrown into the G12 unit and who's sitting there but Cliven Bundy. 
And you if know, people don't know Cliven Bundy's backstory really quickly, it was a national news story of what happened to Cliven, which was over something very near and dear to everybody's heart right now, which is the Second Amendment, right? Yeah. So give us a quick background on Cliven's story of why he was detained. So in 2014, the government came to round up his cattle and take him off the open range where his family had been grazing cattle for 157 years. And long before the Bureau of Land Management was in existence, long before the, the laws and rules of how they graze cattle today. And he was grandfathered in, right? But the, through a long story, the BLM wanted his cattle off the land. So they got a federal judge to issue a trespass order so that they could collect his cattle and put them in a pen. And then the warrant, the judge's order was to return the cattle back to Clyburn. That was the warrant. Though, just on a side note, they didn't try to do that. They actually tried to take them straight to a stockyard in Utah and sell them. They actually paid that stockyard in advance, $87,000, something I've never heard of before. Stockyards get paid a commission for the sale of the animal. They don't, you don't pay them in advance. The stockyard probably saw the government coming and got a check in advance out of them. But nevertheless, and so Cliven, really feeling very helpless and having skirmishes with the government over the years, he, he had a protest. So they got out their signs and they got gathered family and they went out on the highway and they marched up and down and they gave speeches on a makeshift sh- stage. And, and you got to remember, boy, this is out in the middle of nowhere. Okay. This is an hour and a half into the desert from Las Vegas. There's just not a lot of people around. And during those protests, maybe 50 people came on like their lunch hour because they got off work and they came down and they wanted to support Clyburn. But mostly it was just him and his family until the government escalated. And when they escalated it, they brought in 200 armed federal agents. They built this giant compound. They had sniper teams surrounding his family. They had wiretapped his phone and had parabolic microphones and cameras into his home all of which without a warrant, on and on and on. And so it got some primarily social media attention, which raised raised up people all around the country, as far as away as New Hampshire, mostly from the West, but as far as away as New Hampshire. And people all responded and decided they were going to come to Nevada and protect this unfair attempt to gather Glyvin's. Well, that all accumulated after the, after the roundup was over into a, what, the government or the news called a standoff, an armed standoff in the wa in a wash in, out in the desert underneath a couple of freeway overpasses. Attracted national news, driven by several different sources. Some people hated him, some people supported him. And here I am at this point, all I've ever seen is the news. I quite frankly thought he was a goofball. I, I thought when I first met him, he was going to be some weird conspiracy theorist. And so when I got to know him there sitting in Pahrump, I got to talk to him. And it turns out he's just like any other rancher I've known anywhere else in the West. Just a good old boy, Vietnam era guy, loves his family and loves his life of, of farming and ranching. And, but he just wasn't going to put up with me trying to destroy his life. So the more I got to know him, the more I, I kept saying to Clive and Somebody's got to write a story about this. Nobody's telling it. Nobody's telling your side. Nobody's telling your side. And then one day he says to me, about a week into being with him, he says, you should write. So I thought about it, prayed about it, and I agreed. And so what I did is I interviewed him every day for two months, wrote the story, did as much research as I can, and I hand wrote it, okay, on legal paper, no computers or anything. I wrote the story. I would fold it up every night and mail it to my wife, my late wife on the outside, so she could type it and have it ready for me. And then... After the 
entire interview was exhausted. We could not do any more. I felt like I had every detail. It was just about two months that I'd been there. That morning, four in the morning, the correctional officers come and say, Stickler, roll it up. You're out of here. Just like that. No warning, no knowing, and nothing. For all I knew, I was going to be there forever for escape, okay? What they do, they took me, they put me in a van. Just as I was leaving, Cliven, for some reason, woke up, walked over, saw me. We hugged. We cried a little bit. Thought I'd never see him again. And then I walked over, got in a van. And what they do, they drove me right back to the halfway house two months later. Not for no reason. Never said why. Never said what happened. There was no charges. And I just think it was just providential. God wanted me to be in Las Vegas to go meet this guy so I could write this book and tell mm. his story. And I spent the next three months searching everything that Cliven said. And then I actually, right after that, I went home for a while. And then I came back because Cliven's trial, his criminal trial had was starting. And I was there for every day of the criminal trial. We thought it was going to go on for two years. And it lasted 15 days in front of the jury before the judge just finally threw up her hands and said, I've had enough. This is wrong what you're doing to this guy and dismissed the case. And he didn't, they, she didn't just dismiss it. She dismissed it with prejudice. Now that's, you guys, that's almost unheard of in, in a federal courtroom. Usually if you go to trial like me, you're going to prison, period. And then they're yeah. going to throw, they're going to give you 400 years, which is what they're trying to do to Cliven. Uh, they called him a domestic terrorist. They they talked about all the people that were there with guns. They talked about, it was just one big giant fabrication. But the only thing they had right was the na his name, but the rest of it was made up. And uh, so I wrote the definitive book on it, thoroughly researched it. I also, once it was dismissed, the government took it back two years later, took it back to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. I was there for that and wrote about it. And I just felt like it, it was a book that needed to be told. It was the first book I wrote that was not a Christian book. Mm. And at that point in my life. And the title of that book is? Cliven Bundy, American Patriot. American Patriot. Man, that's good. So, I mean, what a crazy tale. I mean, as an entrepreneur recognizing like your fate of like them deciding, <laughs> the US government deciding that, hey, you have all sorts of for business owners, you have all sorts of expenses that go through your business, profit, loss, customers, clients, income, all sorts of different things. And, and to assess that now the embezzlement is of our funds, of which we only gave you one third and you already spent the other two, two thirds third right. that, that you ended up not getting, being able to repossess on and then suing That's you right. for the to total amount, which is unheard of, right? Right. And then losing that in a countersuit, it's just, and like you said, a little, you don't, you won, but like not exactly a win, right? Like careful what no. you wish for, right? So this is probably one of the biggest challenges you've overcome in your life. And if you, if you had to look back and something, say quickly, maybe two things for people. I mean, I love the five things to assess very quickly, but are there any other things like someone who's going through something right now should be factoring in if you're going through the stresses and the strains of this right now, you had a heart attack during that first round of this trial. That's like, right. That's the, right. The stresses of it, the, the loss of quote unquote, your name, your integrity being dragged through the mud and through the streets. And possessions and money. Yep. And I mean, it and, was stripped and, up, and, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was barely held onto my house. So someone's going through a tough time right now. Is there, what's the first thing you think someone should do right now? Well, the very first thing, and I want to tell you, this is a journey. The very first thing is to be honest with yourself and honest with those people that are close to you. When I was going through this trial, they made so many statements about me and people who I knew and loved made so many statements about mm. me. 
I even started to doubt it myself. I looked at my wife one day and I said, am I crazy? Am I self-deceiving myself here? Am I really this horrible person? And I'm just so busily being in denial that I don't see it. And what she cried and she looked at me and she said, Mike, no, but if you don't believe it, who you are, nobody's going to believe who you are. Mm. And she and I were close. Okay. And I I use that in the past tense because later on she passed away of cancer, but she and I were close. We were best friends, had a 40-year incredible marriage, raised great kids, about as close as two people humanly can be. She knew me. We had a, a thing of honesty between us like like very few people have. So the first part is be honest with yourself. And then and then secondly, be honest with the people that are around you, yeah. right? And, and if you haven't been practiced at doing that, recognize it's going to be, there's going to be an adjustment period where, where people will not believe or have a trouble understanding why you're telling them the truth now. But when what's funny about truth is when you really tell the truth about what's going on in your life, the light just shines into your life and everything gets now can be seen and people will deal with it. The people that love you will deal with it. Yes. And the people who bail on you weren't your friends anyway. Okay. And so that's the first two things to do. Okay. And then start evaluating. You said something at the beginning of this I so agree with is when it isn't going well, you got to start evaluating how can I be an overcomer in this? And so I made some steps like I went to my church leadership and I said, look, it looks like I'm going to prison. How can we best do this? And and they decided to send me, like, even though I was convicted, they decided to send me there like a missionary. Yes. Okay. I decided to go there to make a difference in people's lives, not to be miserable and gripe and grumble and yell at my wife over the phone and all that kind of stuff. I decided to go there to make a difference. I also decided to go there to make a difference about my own health, what caused me to have a heart attack. And the whole time I was there, I trained like an athlete. I lost 70 pounds Mm. and got back a fitness level I haven't had since my 30s. Why not? Yeah, You had the time. (laughs) I had the time and it was hard. I mean, my goodness, it was hard, but now I have literally a new direction in life and I'll probably live back in 2012. I might not live to 20 more years, but now I'm, I can do anything I want now physically that I I couldn't do before. And it's not just about losing weight. It's just like as an athlete, it's about getting in shape like an athlete. No, I wasn't going to compete. I was in my fifties then, but still training like one really made a difference. So so look at the assessment. You take the hard assessment of your life and figure out where it's at. I chose to just go where God's going to lead me with my books and the things that made me happy. And boy, am I happy now. And I'm successful at it. My books took off. Isn't that interesting? My first book hit bestseller status in 2013 before I went to prison. Yeah. And, and you wrote that in what year? I wrote that in 2011. Okay. I fought with my publisher to get it back so I could release it in 2013. Yeah. So let's, we talk about these trials and this trial is no joke, you versus the federal government, right? But what I think people can really identify with is the challenge of of something so close of losing your wife. I mean, this is 40 year marriage from heaven, blessed by God, like that you have this in your life, you raise your children and you have this type of relationship that just most people don't. And yet- Cancer comes, life changes. The tables are turned, by the way. She's this big supporter for you for this right. for this prison. And then it's like, oh, hey, the Lord says, hey, here's your turn to be a supporter. And you're like, wait a minute, I didn't ask for this. I didn't, yeah. uh, this, this nope. isn't on my doctrine here. Like, I don't know, like, did I push the wrong button on the vending machine? Because this isn't what I asked for. <laughs> yeah, I, in most people, not only that, but in our personal lives, we had gone through this big trial. We finally were out of it. The bit, you know, our lives were starting to get rebuilt. We were starting to make a living again. Things were kind of starting to move pretty well. And then COVID hit. 
and then March of 2020, she had what was kind of like a stroke incident, which turned out to be glioblastoma cancer, brain cancer, a very it's a rare cancer, and it's terminal. And they told us that she would have 11 to 14 months to live. They called that. She, had let, she lived 11 months. And so we went through mourning together and through the whole process together of, of saying goodbye. And I, during that time, I talked to my pastor and I said, man, send, send me back to prison. That was way easier than this. Oh, this yeah. is the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And, and towards the end, you have to be an advocate for her because our medical system is so siloed. Mm-hmm. They won't talk to each other. You have to be an advocate. You got to be a friend. You got to be a strength and a supporter. You have to be that around to your children and to your grandchildren, to the neighbors, everybody that's around you while you go through this process of saying goodbye to the love of your life. And those last six weeks, once she went into the hospice, was a whole nother thing. It was something like I, I never played professional sports, but I played sports in high school. And I remember. Back in the 70s, we had Hell Week. Yeah. It was really three weeks. Okay. But basically, in those days, they would run us to, until we threw up every single day. That was the plan. And two I days. remember how, you know, yeah, yeah, two a days and three a days. And I remember how hard that was. And, and the last six weeks was very much like that, where I was up 24 hours a day, even though I was fortunate that I could afford care for her, having hospice nurses in and CNAs in and all of that. Lived out of town on a ranch, so they had to come away. But I still, I, I slept right next to her in the in the den and got up two or three times a night and took care of her. And we just, this whole process. And I remember going, man, I have never been so exhausted, never so physically, emotionally drained. It was three days for six weeks. Mm. And then losing her. And the way I kind of related is I had this great story in my, you know, I'm an author, so I think like a book. So I, I, I had this great book that I was reading. And then I get to this chapter and this chapter ends and I'm like, oh my gosh, I did not see this story going this way. And a lot of people, including when my dad, when he lost my mom, they just stopped reading. Okay, They just stopped living. And he lost her at about the same time, age time that Kim and I were. And I decided I'm going to read forward. Where's this going? Mm. And I've been pretty happy with the way the story's coming out. Yeah. So far. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't you know, know where I mean, else it's going. Yeah. I but. mean, listen, I got to tell you, like, the time I've ever heard, like, take me back to prison, like, said nobody ever, right? Like, and yet this yeah, is the, exactly the right. challenge and trauma that is life, right? This is the yeah. challenge. And I got to tell you, Mike, this has been, this has been so good, man. I, I'm so thankful. Like, for everybody out there, just a couple of refreshers here. Five things in our life without reservation, right? To live this life. Time. It's finite. Yeah. Talent. You have talents. You've been given them. Like I, I say this in business a lot, Michael. I mean, a lot of people that are very talented people that are not doing well. They're not contributing in their role. Right. And the thing that they're doing is, is they're in a role that doesn't execute on their talents, right? That's and right. so they're trying and they're doing their best even sometimes, right? But at the end of the day, they're in the wrong seat. Right person, wrong seat. Treasure. Listen, we have things we value, but they're certainly things that, that the real treasures in this life aren't possessions. Our relationships with others, so important. And just that constantly lifelong learner, what we preach, just wisdom, knowledge, you can't get enough, mentorship, find them, get these people. Because right. what I always say about people like, hey, listen, if you gain the knowledge, nobody can take that away. 
Like they, right. they, they can put you in your prison. You didn't lose your, your college education. You didn't lose your nope. ability to earn. You didn't lose any of that from everything that was taken away from you because you had the knowledge. And so uh, you just can't take that away from you. And first of all, they, in that challenging time, be get, get really right with honesty and being very open and honest about the challenge you're facing and, and your part in it and owning and taking ownership in your role in this challenge. And then before you start talking about what you're going to do about it, especially those closest to you. So I love that. And Trent, that. I, I was thinking, kind of relating it back to baseball. One of the things that's cool about baseball is you guys keep records on everything. And so if your batting average has dropped, you would be stupid to not look at it and, right. and say, say, what's going on? But that's what we do when we get into this denial, when there's a challenge, when things aren't going well, we don't want to look at the stats. We don't want to look. We won't do a self, honest to God, difficult self-assessment to find out what, where am I at? And then how can I improve? Yeah. And I think it's one of the things that we talk about some of those four losing behaviors, right? When it happens, when all of a sudden you're losing. And one of those losing behaviors is denial. Like, hey, Michael's got 18 points. Trent's got one. And I'm like, no, I'm doing fine. No, no, no. You're losing. <laughs> like, like, right, this is good. Right. And, and we're like, no, I'm the coach is like, hey, Trent, keep up your bed. You're doing great. Like, you're not doing great. Like, let's stop lying to kids. They know when they're down 18 to one, it's not going great. Right. And uh, so it, it really quickly, I want to wrap with this. Is there a go-to saying or verse that you're like, man, when things kind of get off the rails for me, when things are kind of getting off my life, this can level me very quickly. Get me back online. Take me back to foundational, Mike, and where I need to be. Yeah, it's a Bible verse. It's Galatians 5.1. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set me free. Therefore, do not return to the yoke of slavery. Now, in that verse, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Galatians about legalism, but it applies. When we find ourselves, when we're in trouble and things aren't going right, we feel like we're enslaved. We feel like we can't move. We feel like we're restricted. We feel like we can't be at the top of our game. That's not how we're supposed to be. That's not where we're supposed to be. And when you are feeling that, okay, you've returned to the yoke of slavery. Get out of it. You've got to completely reinvent yourself and do it, Okay so that you can live a life that's free and wonderful and joyous. And I don't mean heaping treasure on yourself. I mean living a life that you can give it away, like however you yeah. want. Well, and I, and I could apply that to your five too. The yoke of the yoke of slavery of time, giving right. people time that you you shouldn't be giving, that you shouldn't be giving up. The uh, yoke of slavery of talent. I'm spending all this time outside my talent, and now it's just I feel terrible about it. The treasure, which slaves toward money or a possession, I just have to have that we find out never right. really gave us what we wanted. Relationship, the slavery of that being in really irregular and toxic relationship. And all of a sudden going, I'm a slave in this relationship. Like you chose it. You keep choosing this slavery yeah. and the wisdom. Like I refuse the knowledge, right? For me, Mike, as we thought about this week, I want to wrap with this. It was so important that I always find something that speaks to me. And I, I heard this verse this week from Psalms 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and That's abounding right. in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. And all of us has been made by him. So we are all under that mercy, right? All the time. And it doesn't always feel like that every day. But here's a man who's gone through it. He understands that mercy is still there every day for That's him. Right. Mike, thank you so much for being a part of the show today. It has just been awesome. And so grateful you could be here. Trent, it is a joy. And the work you're doing is making a difference. And so keep moving forward with the grace of God. 
All right. Thanks for everybody. Join us next time on the Winners Find Away show every Friday, 1230 Eastern, 930 AM Pacific. Hate the crappy ingredients in many beverages and energy drinks? Rebellious Infusions are the go-to functional beverage. They have five or fewer plant-based organic ingredients. No sugar, no calories, loaded with antioxidants to boost your immune system. And L-thionine for brain health. Rebellious Infusions are available at drinkrebellious.com. Rethink your drink. For 10% off of your next purchase, use the code 99999. Thank you for listening to the Winners Find a Way show and podcast. Trent, together with the leaders who shared their learning and experiences through this show, are grateful for allowing them to help and support you on your journey to becoming your best. Write a review, rate us five stars, and share this episode to your network.